uh, I would say, increased, uh, that have increased, uh, or in rather intensified, rather, by social media and technology. Now, don't get me wrong. I love all the advancements of technology. I am not a techie, but I am a techie wannabe. The latest gadget, the late, I want to have it, and I want to know how to use it. But I don't always buy it because I buy it and then I don't know how to use it. Um, I'm a techie wannabe, but I, I, I love all the, all the things that we can do, all the ad advancements in, in uh, social media or uh, with technology and with social media and that. I, I, I love it. You know, when, when, when Susie was in high school, she went to Europe twice, which she never would have done had the movie uh, taken and taken two and taken three been out, that series. She never would have gone. She would have stayed home, locked up in her room. But anyway, for some reason, we let her go to Europe twice. First time she went as an exchange student uh, to France. And the second time she went with uh, a friend and they toured uh, France, Spain, England, Scotland, Ireland, um, you know, five different countries there and uh, had a great time. But when she did this, uh, this was all before texting. This was, uh, yes, that's how old Susie is. It was before texting. <laughs> Sorry, Susie. It was before texting. It's before FaceTime. It was before Skype. It was anything like that. We had email. We had, now, that was an improvement over what, you know, we had before that, which was, you know, those long-distance phone cards that you try to use internationally. Anybody remember those? Anybody still got any around with minutes left on it because it was so frustrating to use and you call, you know, you try to call out of country and the operator, you know, you can't speak their language, they can't speak your language. And I gave my dad one of those cards years ago, said, I can't use this anymore. Maybe you can, he couldn't figure out just to call from Florida to here to avoid long distance charges, which, you know, those are kind of a thing of the past now. But anyway, um, it was all before that we had email. You know, and it was better than the phone cards, but it still wasn't great. Now, with John and Riley living in Nairobi, we can FaceTime, we can call each other in video and send pictures and texts on, on WhatsApp. We've got, you know, communication is so much easier. You know, he, 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 sent, us a, uh, he sent us a picture just, uh, was it yesterday or day before? you know, what he was fixing for dinner, because Riley is on a work conference right now, so, so John's there batching it for a while, and, you know, send what is, what's for breakfast, then he sends me a video of his coffee mug, and he's pouring coffee, I mean, little dumb things like that, you know, it's so easy to communicate because of, of the, the advancements in technology, but at the same time, the advancements of technology and the introduction of social media has brought with it some detrimental consequences. Last week, we looked at the fact how social media feeds discontent and envy because we end up looking at everybody else's life on Instagram or on Facebook. We look at everybody else's life, and we see their highlight reel, and we compare it to our blooper reel. You know, they, everybody posts everything that's going right, and we look in our lives that everything is going wrong. So we get envious, and, and, and we, we, we feed this discontent. Um, and, and 
So, so that's what we looked at last week. This week, we're going to talk about how social media has affected our relationships. On the one hand, it's opened up new avenues and new ways to connect with people. I'm connected with people all over the world, literally. And, and uh, it's, it, it's great for that. But on the other hand, it's had a negative effect on intimacy in our relationships. And as we talk about this, I want to look through the lens of something that Jesus said in John chapter 13. On the last night Jesus gathered with the disciples before the events that led to the crucifixion, Jesus wrapped a towel around his waist and proceeded to wash his disciples' feet. And that was a humbling thing to do. Uh, you know, normally it was responsibility of a household servant. Uh, when you get to their house, they would wash your feet because it was a dirty task. I mean, they're walking in sandals. You know, they didn't have nice hiking boots or hiking shoes. They're walking in sandals on dusty roads behind animals or where animals have, have walked and, and left the fact that they were there, left their presence known, you know, deposited some of their presence there. And said, so, they're, you know, your feet got pretty gross pretty quickly. So when Jesus took it upon himself to wash them, it was a totally other-centered, humble act of love. Then he has dinner with his disciples, and he says this in John 13. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I've loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Now I want us to notice what he says and doesn't say. He doesn't say, your perfect theology is going to prove to the world that you're my disciple. He doesn't say going to church every Sunday will prove that you're my disciple. He doesn't say putting a bumper sticker on your car will prove that you're my disciple. No, what did he say? He said the thing that's going to prove you're my disciple is the way you treat each other the depth of love that you have for each other. That's what's going to prove that, that you're from me, that you're my disciple. How we treat each other is paramount. I want us to keep that lens in front of us as we look through it and, and, and look through it as we talk about how technology is impacting and changing our relationships. In some ways, it's helping. Like I said, so easy to stay connected with people. Um, but there's also some unintended negative consequences. Let's look at them. First of all, the term friend is evolving, right? The term friend is evolving. It used to be a friend is someone that you did life with. You share a meal with them. You discuss what's happening in their life, what's going on with them. You get together for, for various activities. You know, they give you uh, invitations for their weddings, um, <clears throat> Or, or, or maybe you, you know, help each other with, with projects, you know. They're, they're, they're people you hung out with, that you did life with. And now you, it can be someone that you've never even met in person. Really. You can have all these friends that, quote, unquote, you never even met them. For, they just follow you on Facebook or on Instagram. The term is evolving. Let's consider this. I read where the average Facebook user has 328 friends. But the average American says they have only two close friends, 
which is down from six just two decades ago. On top of that, 25% of Americans say they have zero close friends. Zero close friends. So you may have 328 Facebook friends, and then you may say you've got no real and no close friends. And so we, we could argue, you know, we, we've got lots of online interactivity, and yet we may have very limited personal intimacy. And we look at everybody else, like the lady in the clip, you know, having lunch and, you know, talking and laughing, and she's sitting there with her bowl of whatever just looking at that alone, desperately wanting the friendship that we see elsewhere. So the term friend is evolving. Second way technology is changing relationship is that we're becoming addicted to immediate affirmation. I can take a picture and post it on Facebook or Instagram. Pretty soon I've got likes, I've got comments. In fact, Thursday, I changed my profile picture on Facebook. Immediately somebody liked it. I mean, they must have been looking at my you know, timeline or something that the moment it went through because it changed and boom, there goes the like right away. I checked it this morning and I had, what, what did I have? I had 72 likes, 72 likes on my new pro, just since Thursday, you know, and, and those will, if, if, if the pattern holds, those will continue to come in over time. All of you will go to my Facebook now and if you haven't already, and, 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 and like it, you know, I, we, we get feedback almost instantly. In fact, have you ever done this? Sometimes we post things specifically for the purpose of getting the feedback. Now, who wants to admit that they've ever done that? Well, I'm going to post this because I know I'm going to get a lot of likes, right? Yeah, nobody's raising their hand, but I know some of you. Yeah, you would, yeah. <laughs> of course, of course. Thank you for your support. Normally, you're heckling me. But now you got, yeah, I'll, I'll have to like something of yours now. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, so, so, you know, but, but we do that and then we look for the responses. We can actually become addicted to the affirmation that we get that way. Literally. Scientists tell us that there is a chemical called dopamine that is released in our brain when we see those responses and we become addicted to it. You know, how many likes did I get? Who, who, who liked it? Who didn't like it? You know, this per, why, why didn't this person like it? They never liked my post. I'm not going to like anything of theirs anymore. You know, and, and what's happening is people are meeting a short-term need, but we're deferring a long-term need for intimacy until later. And we're deferring our loneliness until later. So because of technology the term friend is evolving. And we're becoming addicted to immediate affirmation and continually craving more and more. And the third thing is, we have the power to do friendship on our own terms. It's given us the power to do friendship on our own terms. Someone messages us, we have the choice, we have the power to respond right away, respond at a later time, or not at all. And if you post something that I don't like, 
I might just unfriend you or unfollow you at the least. Or even worse, I might just publicly trash you because you hold a different view, a different opinion on a subject than I do. And of course, you are wrong and you're moronic because you disagree with me. And you're a horrible person because you disagree. That's the kind of stuff that we see on Facebook. I can control my friendships and my input. I only want to hear from people who agree with me. So if you don't agree with me, don't bother posting, right? Isn't that how what we see? Of course, none of us are like that. But those other people on Facebook, they're always like that, right? Some of you are laughing a little too nervously. Uh, <laughs> the result is we have a society of that that society that's filled with the most connected and yet most lonely people of all. Between spending increasing amounts of screen time replacing real conversations with texting, even across the room or sitting across the table, we're in danger of forgetting how to relate to people because we're cutting out that personal interaction. In the 1950s, Robert Schuller founded Garden Grove Community Church in a drive-in theater. You could pull your car up, put the, this is when drive-ins had speakers, you hung on the window, reach out, get the speaker, put it in your window and have church service and stay totally disconnected from everybody else. We look at that and we think, how in the world? What was he thinking? Of course, now there are online churches where you don't even have to leave your home. And I don't mean watching a church service online. I mean online churches where there is no corporate service. It's all online, and the church is all online. It never gets together. It never meets. It's all done online. You can log in and, and totally avoid any interaction whatsoever, any face-to-face -face with people. The whole sense of community is lost altogether. And that's sad because, because you know, church isn't about listening to, to music or singing some songs or, or listening to a message being given or anything like that. Church isn't about that. Church is, is about participating in a community of fellow believers, worshiping together, learning together, ministering together, living out the gospel together. Psalm 34, 3 says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name, what? Separately? Individually? No. Let us exalt his name together. There's that corporate community aspect. So how do we regain what's been lost? Or how do we regain what's, what we're losing quickly uh, uh, th through, this, through the technology and the advancements that we're seeing? The place to start is to get back to practicing the power of presence. I want to look by, uh, start by looking at a, a couple of verses in Hebrews. Hebrews 24 and 25. Verse 24 says, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Now, let's just pause right there for a minute. I wonder how many of us have actually stopped to give this some thought. Or do we just read through it and put it with other verses where we just Check off, oh, I got this one, done, move on to the next verse. 
the writer is saying, let's give this some thought. Let's be intentional. Let's come with a plan, come up with a strategy. How can we motivate each other to show our love for one another? What are some things that we can do? How can we, he doesn't just say, let's motivate each other. He says, how can we do this? How can we treat each other in a way that when the world looks at us, they know we're believers, they know we're Christians, just by the way we love each other? Let's not just say that we love each other. Let's come with some practical ways that we can show it and encourage each other in it. And then he goes on in verse 25 and says, And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. I am all for listening to messages and listening to services online. I've got one or two that I follow regularly. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll listen to it, I'll catch up, and, and, and on a regular basis, I'm all for that. But it doesn't take the place of plugging into a community of believers where you can encourage and be encouraged where you can know and be known, where you can have that one-on-one interaction, where you can experience the tension of disagreement with each other in one body and work through that, where you can come up with somebody that maybe rubs you the wrong way, it's like sandpaper, and have that smooth out your rough areas. That happens in community. It happens when the church comes together. We don't all come together and think the same way and and like the same things and act the same way, have the same opinions. We are different. We've got people from both ends of the political spectrum in this room right now and everywhere in between. We have people that have opinions about this hot-button issue and others that have the opposite opinion about this hot-button issue. When we come together, we live out the gospel in our relationships with each other. Relationships are key in the body of Christ. And I like to say, I've said it many times, the kingdom of God is all about relationships. Because it's where we learn to live this book. It's where we learn. You can't live this book and be a hermit. We have to come together as a body and learn how to relate to one another one-on-one in in the context of face-to-face communication, not just posting on Facebook. It's when the church comes together that God is present in a very real, dynamic, and supernatural way. God's presence rested on us during worship today. Friday night at our Holy Spirit night, God, there was one point in particular, one song in particular, where a uh, point in the service where we had this extended time of worship, and I just sensed the presence of God just falling on us in a dynamic way, in a very tangible way. And afterwards, several others made that same comment, you know, and, and the, the Spirit of God just, just came and, and, and fell on us tangent. Now, is He here all the time? Yes, He's here all the time. He's here in each individual, but when we come together, there's something about the dynamic of his presence that changes. You know, people used to refer to the church as as, a church building, as God's house. Well, we're going to God's house, or this is God's house, you know, or uh, um, how can you do that in God's house? You know, it's like, but 
you know, the thing about God's house, you know, it's not like he's here on Sunday morning waiting for all, to, all of us to come and knock on the door or ring the doorbell so he can open it and we can come in. No, it's not that. God rests in each one of us. We are God's house. As individual believers and corporately, we are his house. And, you know, uh, he lives in his people. And when we gather together in his name, there is a different dynamic to his presence. Jesus said, wherever two or three gather together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. So when we come together with believers in the name of Jesus, we experience the very real presence of Christ in a supernatural way. There's a difference. Think about it like this. God didn't just give us a book and say, read this and learn about me. He came to live among us. He came in the flesh. He dwelt among us. He did life with us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Not just God telling us about himself. He came and lived with us. Some of us need to rediscover the power of practicing presence. Throughout the Bible, God's presence plays an important role. God led the Israelites you know, out of Egypt and through the wilderness by what? A pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. That told the Israelites that that's where his, pres his presence was with them. And when that pillar moved, then they would move out and follow him. In Exodus 33, the Lord told Moses and Israelites, he said, you go ahead into, into the promised land, but I'm not going with you because you were so stubborn and rebellious. And Moses said, wait a minute. Lord, if your presence doesn't go with us, then we don't want to go. You got to go with us, please. So, so God, the Lord told Moses, okay, my presence will go with you. Because it's his presence that differentiated the Israelites, that differentiated God's people from all the other peoples. It was the presence of God. Then in the New Testament, God took on human flesh and lived among us. He was present. And now his presence is, with every, is living in every believer through the Holy Spirit. His presence makes the difference. His presence is with us to hear our prayers, to help us when we need help, to give us strength when we need strength, to comfort us when we need comfort. Presence is powerful, and yet so often many of us settle for far less in our lives. So this morning we're going to get very practical. I want to give you just two thoughts that if you'll do these two things, you will see the Holy Spirit begin to move in and transform your relationships. If you've been having trouble in relationships, whether it's family members, co-workers, friends, whatever, you do these two things and you will see a big difference and begin to see a big difference in those relationships. The first one's really simple, really basic. I don't want to insult anybody's intelligence, but we need to say it. It's simply be present. Duh. Be present. This means be there with the people in your life. Parents, those of you that have kids, be present with your kids. Be present in your relationship with your friends. Remember Jesus said we're to love each other? 
that requires that we be present with each other. Look at Romans 12. It says, do not just, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Love each other with genuine affection. Take delight in honoring each other. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Now tell me, how can we do that without being present? There needs to be a close proximity. We need to be present. We are a people of presence. And as believers, we carry God's presence with us wherever we go. Let me give you an example. We've all experienced a death in the family, immediate or extended, or we've all had friends that have. And when that happens, when you have someone know somebody that has experienced a death in the family, you want to go and try to comfort them, right? But what do you say? You don't know what to say. You say, man, I want to go, but I just don't know what to say. You ever felt that? You ever thought that? You don't have to say anything at all. It's your presence that brings comfort. And as a believer, God lives in you through the Holy Spirit, so, and you carry his, the presence of God wherever you go. So when you walk into that room where people are grieving the loss of a loved one, you are literally bringing the presence of God into that room. He's literally, he's entering that room with you. And that person know, knows that you care, and they know, they, they, they know your presence, and, and it comforts them without ever having to say a word. So let's be present. Second thought goes a little bit further let's be present but the and let's also be engaged goes along with the first one let's also be engaged first peter 4 8 says most important of all continue to show deep love for each other for love covers a multitude of sins now we've 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 forgotten that last part love covers a multitude of sins we tend to think a lot of times we act like you know posting corrects a, a multitude of sins you know, instead of love covering, posting corrects, you know. Anyway, let's show deep love. Look at 1 John 3.18. Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's show the truth by our actions. Now, that requires being engaged. Being engaged means paying attention to each other, not having our faces in our phones constantly. Ouch. And that's a real battle. And I, it's one that I admit I struggle with. I struggle with that. Let's, let's, let, we, we need to realize that these phones that we carry with us, smartphones, they're addictive. They're addictive. And the more time we spend on our phones, the less engaged we are with the people around us. We need to engage less with our technology and more with the people around us then we can do what Jesus told us to do. We looked at this earlier, John 13. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. I'm going to paraphrase this. Now I'm giving you a new commandment. Get off your phones and love each other. 
Stop spending time with technology instead of my people and love each other. Just as I've loved you, you should love each other. How did Jesus love his disciples? It wasn't by putting a heart on their Facebook posts. It was by being engaged in their lives. By being engaged in their lives. There was no servant to wash their feet. So he said, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to love these disciples, which, by the way, included Judas, who he knew was about to betray him. He still. I mean, if I could have a, if I could have a, 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 a picture, I think one of, the, one of the pictures, several pictures I'd love to have from, from Jesus' life, one of them would be Jesus washing Judas' feet. I love to see the expression on Judas's face. I love to see the expression on Jesus' face. Judas was about to betray him, but he still loved Judas. He was still engaged in his life. He says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. The more... We are engaged in people's lives through acts of love. The more we will stand out from society for the right reasons. I want to close with this. A couple of questions. Number one, I want, I want us to ask ourselves, what, which relationships in my life, which relationships need more of my presence and engagement? Think about it. Be specific. Is it with your kids or other family members? Is it with your friends? Who is it that you need to have more to be more available, more of your presence in their life? And I don't mean just sitting there across the dinner table, Facebooking and texting. I mean you being a present where you're eye-to-eye contact. So who is it in your life that you need to be more present with? Second, what specific change are you going to make to break technology's negative influence on your most important relationships? Now, I'm not saying we smash our smartphones or throw them in a garbage disposal. I'm not saying that. You know, um, but we ought to be able to make some changes to break the hold that they have on our lives. What is it? Maybe it's putting the phone away at the dinner table, not even having it out. I know one of the, I don't know if it's an app or, or one of the phone companies, whatever, advertises you can silence the family's phones where nobody gets notifications calls or whatever during the dinner table do you remember before the advent of smartphones when telephones hung on a wall and they had this tail on them you know and 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 the phone would ring in the middle of the dinner hour and you'd be so annoyed by that what do we do now We've gotten away from being annoyed by that. And, and, you know, we hear a text message. Oop, what is it? 
oh, wow. Or, 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 oh, or a news article. I get news alerts on my phone. Oh, wow. New Ohio law prohibiting installation of unsafe used tires takes effect. Well, I've got to read about that right now. Forget about my, my you know, dinner. Forget about those Brussels sprouts. This is a whole lot more interesting. <laughs> Asparagus I can eat. Brussels sprouts are not of God. Um, never were, never will be. Um, no matter what you think of, uh, no matter what you think of, of, of former President Bush, um, he got it right on that one. Um, anyway, <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't want to get political here. Um, but yeah, so so put away phone, to, or, or what about turn off text notifications while you're home with your family, so that dinging doesn't come in all the time while you're at home with the family. After the kids go to bed, then you can check and see what's going on. Or maybe put a limit on screen time. You know, I get a thing uh, that, that, that periodically tells me your screen time, uh, average screen time reduced, you know, this week by this much, and I like those. I don't like it when it says your screen time went up an hour a day this week. I don't like those. What is it? I'm trying to get us so that we don't just listen to this and say, yeah, that's good. But let's come up with a plan that we can begin to break the, the, the technology's negative influence. I'm not saying throw out all the good things. I'm saying let's just let's make sure that it's a tool that we use and not a, a, a harsh taskmaster that rules us. That's what I'm saying. So... Write down some things while the worship team comes up. Uh, write down, you know, what, what, what are specific changes that you're going to do while the worship team comes up? Yes. Worship team. Here. <laughs> Will you please? Okay. Okay. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we say that you are the Lord of our life. And yet, we so often let so many other things rule our life. Things that are good things. Things that are blessings. And, and have so many benefits, but at the same time, they're easy to rule our lives. Lord, let us not let technology and the things it has brought into our lives, let us not let that replace the personal communication, our ability to be present with one another, to be engaged in each other's lives. So then we're going to miss out on so much of what you have for us. The blessings that technology brings doesn't compare to the blessings that you already have for us that are right before our eyes and we can so easily miss because our face is in a screen. So help us, Lord, and show us how we can manage this and how 
we can take charge of it instead of it taking charge of us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.